Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle of people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I took my talents to South Beach for a couple of days. I do these various things at Freethink, and tomorrow I'm going home. But before I do, I'm delighted to be doing this thing with some other people. Matt Welch, editor at Large Reason Magazine. He's on this thing via Ansible Connection. Michael Moynihan, he's also here using the interwebs. And you guys aren't close, but it feels like you're right here because we're cosmically entangled. It's like these particles, and it doesn't matter how far away they are. I do something to one, and it does something to the other. We're quantumly entangled. What kind of crackpot conference are you at right now that is making you think these sorts of things? It's the ayahuasca, baby. (laughs) It's the ayahuasca. And I got it. And it's oh, I, ho- I hope. I hope. By the way, that like ten minutes into this podcast, you start puking, <laughs> puking everywhere, and then some shaman leaves the capital and comes to Miami and is like, "We tried okay. to bail the QAnon shaman out. It did not work out. Puke well. out Apparently, it's not how that works." Um, no, I met I met Hereticon in Miami, um, and I, I feel I feel like I could talk right. about some aspects of this. But I was invited by my good friends at Founders Fund, and as some folks know, um, Founders Fund is an investor. And free think, and I mean the general the general thesis of Hereticon is that all innovations that have ever been made in the sciences have been made in not all but many, most uh, by people who had to disrupt the status quo in a meaningful way. And some of those people were de- deemed heretics, and in their own time and in their own lives, they were repudiated and hated. People insisted they were wrong about things, um, and sometimes they <laughs> persisted. Sometimes they recanted. Sometimes but they suffered persisted. death yeah. uh, as, as punishment for their heresy. They yeah. were and sometimes they were wrong. Sometimes super, they were wrong. But yeah. other times wrong. they were super right in ways that were profoundly consequential. And I think what Hereticon is about is not so much giving a platform to every heretical idea um, or endorsing any particular heretical idea, but endorsing the premise that this is this is actually important dissent, especially in you know areas of innovation and um, certainly with respect to policy and culture in general, is critical, is vital. It's the lifeblood of what we do. Stasis isn't an option. We don't have all of the answers, and fundamentalism is uh, is dangerous. Stasis is dangerous. We need we need to view human progress as a moral imperative and um that i certainly agree with that and uh, i've had an but interesting Camille, time with fancy people fancy smart people who build things amongst the fancy smart people yeah that there's probably some fancy um or not so fancy crazy people oh do yeah you find <laughs> the are. common instinct i meet regular for... crazy people all the time so yeah 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 no, no. <laughs> I mean, they, listen, they listen to this podcast and they send us emails <laughs> could you please stop um but no the people who believe in an equality of heresy so they will come out and say, the vaccines are making me magnetic, and there are <laughs> knives that are clinging to my back. And by the way, you know, Galileo was uh-huh. also persecuted. It's like, no, 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 no that's not how it works. No, no, no. Yes, yes, he was. There, he, he was definitely put on trial. Yeah. But, um, but you know. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. The Inquisition does, does not apply to you, my does every Does everyone wear matching shirts saying, I'm a heretic? No, yeah. no, yeah. it's okay, it's not it's not that corny, and I think there's even a a, a very 
amongst the best people here, and there's always, you know, best and worst. I mean, it's just necessarily true. Um, but amongst the best people here, and I'd say probably amongst the average person here, there is a very, very real sensibility about how absurd it is to imagine yourself a heretic. And even here, there have been kind of thoughtful discussions and warnings about what happens to you when you find yourself uh, as someone who is kind of out there on a limb, who is perhaps ostracized from establishment platforms. I don't even want to use the word mainstream to describe them because in many instances, they don't even have like the throughput in terms of audience. They just have this vestigial prestige. Um, but, you know, when you don't have those places to go to and there aren't people interrogating your ideas, you're just operating on, you know, you're a doctor and you can go on a, what's his name? Uh, the War Room podcast with Steve Bannon and Steve talk Bannon. to him about, you know, whatever, ivermectin and, and vaccines. You know, I think there's a, a way in which one can be tr captured and yeah. precisely the way that we see happen in other contexts. And you can become fundamentalist and dogmatic in ways that aren't valuable. Um, but I, I do think if one is is attuned to just how important it is for people to be for us to in, indulge um, and allow for um, dissent and to believe in like fallibility as a principle and to have a, a broad appreciation for the fact that we haven't reached the end of truth, either scientifically or morally or philosophically, then the need to, to probe the depths of what people are offering us in terms of new insights and ideas is like really important. Um, and I think there's a really great opportunity to take an idea that is generally kind of derided and to put that person on stage, to talk to them like a human being and to do what you would do with any other idea that you respect and you disagreed with, ask serious questions, put that ideal on trial, interrogate it in a meaningful way. And I think you can learn a tremendous amount from that and a lot about what's what's wrong with the current scientific process where people feel so shitty about whatever ideas they have or the, the idiocy of everyone else that they never bother making arguments in a way that is, is coherent and good um, and enough to kind of persuade public opinion in a in a really meaningful way so well, i mean the, the the pandemic just allowed for a triumph of mainstream mainstream scientism yes. which never really existed amongst the mainstream but everyone of we course is always talking about covid science. all the time yeah and the number of people that have said to me i actually had an argument with somebody about a week and a half ago who's not in this universe um that and i just wanted to say this is that uh, to that person is that historians can be wrong Doctors can be wrong. Mm -hmm. Doctors disagree and historians disagree. So you say, well, you know, he, you know, he's uh, arguing against your position on whatever fucking the 1619 project. Yeah. And he's a historian and, and you're not. And I'm like, and he's fucking wrong. And I am. And I'm not. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, it, it's it's like fucking insane. This happens so much, particularly with like, well, you know, he's a doctor. You don't trust the doctor. And it's like, well, no, there's a lot of doctors that I don't trust. And there's a huge amount of debate in these issues. And, you know, it's become a bit cliche and boring to say at this point, but you know, the trust the science thing that was something that was happening amongst our class and the journalist class mm -hmm. um, at the beginning of the pandemic and is now spread to everybody and everybody I know in this. And I, I know that there's certain parts of the country where the opposite is true. And there's whatever that phrase would be, but around the people that I am, I, think it's like, you know, I trust the science. It's when let's go, Brian. Let's, Brandon. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Brand. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> let's go, Brandon. <laughs> let's go, Rick. <laughs> That's the one, right? Um, yeah. No, it's just it's it's kind of frustrating because of you know this this take one switch, right? I mean, there's a obviously the Supreme Court ruled today 
uh, on the vaccine mandates. I, I think upholding some of them as it pertained to healthcare workers, but shooting down mm-hmm. um, the bulk of what the Biden administration wanted. Um, you know, we haven't changed our conversation about this. Um, after, what, a month, two months of Omicron, in which the vaccine has proven ineffectual against the contraction and preventing the spread from a person who is vaccinated. So we should kind of rewrite those rules in a way, or at least address them in some significant way. You know, what we could do, just here's a thing, is that, uh, you know, the head of the CDC, Frau Walensky, could come out, or Mm -hmm. Joe Biden or somebody, and rather than going on some shitty MSNBC program and screaming at people to get vaccinated and yelling about whatever and making political points, how about something that comes, you come out once in a while and say, okay, here's the updated science. Here's what we know at this point. Because where is where are people getting this information when it's not kind of being delivered in any, any way that is kind of organized? And I'm not saying you should get your information from the government. I've been wrong about it so much. Mm-hmm. But it's surprising to me that they don't make that effort. That, you know, there was um, at the beginning of the pandemic, of course, a very touchy mayor, uh, a governor of a very um, lovely state who did these ridiculous press conferences every day. Mm -hmm. The instinct of them was was good because we didn't know what the hell was going on. And maybe he had a good group of people that could could kind of aggregate those those numbers. The thing that was good about what he did, in addition, was that um, uh, like the CDC, the White House has its uh, coronavirus task force. That meets uh, and publicly, I think about once a week, right? It's headed by uh, what's his face, Jeff Deans and uh, Rochelle Walensky, and Fauci's on it. And sometimes they wheel in old Joe uh, Biden to uh, to bark at the cameras a little bit, and then they wheel him back out again. Um, so they do the briefings, but they're uh, and then sometimes they do like, hey, we've just found this out about. Uh, the latest news from South Africa. So maybe this gives us preliminary indication that it's, you know, it's going to peak high real quick and then go back down, whatever. They do that kind of stuff. But Cuomo was also the guy who was counting hospital beds. Are you hiding the count of hospital beds and, <laughs> and burying grandmas in the dirt? But like as a theoretical Allegedly. idea, Allegedly. like if, if you if you could marry the two of those things and then also present it, uh, and this is the fatal flaw of the CDC, but present it, and public health in general, as um, literally this is what we know. We're trying to give you information so that you can make the decision that is best for you. I actually heard Walensky say something like that today about masks, uh, because, of course, it's going to end up, you know, right right now that we have gotten to this great Omicron moment of um, uh, it's it's a bad moment in the sense that a lot of uh, the system is getting overwhelmed, but it's getting overwhelmed with mild cases. Um, and so right then there's this instinct among a bunch of people said, OK, so that means we got to get the great masks now for this <laughs> mild variant that doesn't kill vaccinated people. Um, and but for a half a second, she said something like, we're just giving you the information about the K-95s or whatever so that you can make the decision that's best for you. That's not what they're going to end up doing. They're going to end up making a recommendation um, broadly that every kid over the age two is going to have to have uh, a, a K-95 or 94, which, in fact, they've had they've done now in New York. And all of the blue states are going to adopt that. So my kid who should not be wearing a mask and is vaccinated and was with a 100 percent vaccinated environment um, is going to be wearing more severe masks than ever but uh the idea should have been from the beginning this is what we know this is what we don't know this is the updated stuff and then someone next to them saying oh yeah and here's the beds and here's the thing that that we should be worrying about capacity wise to keep in mind as we do that but all of that uh was ditched from the beginning i mean literally from the beginning when uh trump's surgeon general on february 29th the leap year day 
2020 came out and said, masks are bad. They don't work. And he said that because he was worried. And uh, Fauci said a version of that. Um, they said that because they were worried that uh, that the, the little people were going to hoard them and the hospitals wouldn't get them. So they just right away from the beginning telegraphed, we are going to say what we think you need to hear so that your behavior pleases us. And what happens? Everyone wants to go and, you know, hear the traveling, uh, the sideshow uh, heretic fest 7.12 uh, to, to you know uh, hear what uh, what the real truth is about this ship because everyone has blown their credibility yeah the loss of credibility is immensely important especially in the midst of you know global health crisis uh, where the authorities insist that you trust them and as a result they speak in these strident overconfident ways they barely if ever acknowledge mistakes that are made and they never operate in a way that is modest and as I said, I mean, I think Hereticon is a conference about fallibility as much as it's a conference about people who have out-of-the-box ideas um, to, to reconsider your perspective, to, to embrace a different set of values that allow us to hopefully make progress and to evaluate ideas in, in thoughtful, critical ways, as opposed to what we've seen so much um, from, from journalists, from policymakers, but, but journalists in particular, since this is a, a media criticism podcast in many ways. Um, but the kind of motivated reasoning um, operating as effectively a PR outfit for <laughs> for policymakers, just kind of laundering any statements that they make. Um, and in, in many re instances, when reporting on studies, like being very guilty of reading the headline on the study, maybe paying some attention to the conclusion and never providing any details or being thoughtful about, like, you know, methodology, sample size, that kind of that kind of basic stuff. Control um, group. So, you know, it's interesting. It's important stuff, um, and it has implications beyond beyond COVID and UFO talk and all kinds of other stuff. Was, I just wish good. that someone at Hereticon did what Steve Martin did at the peak of his, uh, you know, rock star fame in the 1970s when he mm. was selling out arenas and and it was just gigantic. He would come out and uh, you know, crowd of 15,000 people and say, "All right, now everybody take the nonconformist oath." <laughs> uh, and they would do it. They would do anything yeah. he said. I promise to be different. I promise to be different. I promise to be unique. I promise to be unique. I promise not to repeat what other people tell me to say. Uh, and it would sort of dissipate. Uh, yeah, that's that. The problem with and this is true even with uh, our good friend Barry when she was uh, kind of jokingly having the thought criminals dinner in uh, New York, which are great. You know, a bunch of our friends, a lot of guests on this mm -hmm. podcast, and super fun times um and there's a version of that that's still ongoing um uh, that uh, pamela presky hope hosts and i hope i'm not giving away the store uh but I'm, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying that but like uh it's defining yourself still uh in relationship to the other i am a heretic because you know i'm those people over there are this it's like i'm a centrist because that side and that side it's like how about just defining yourself who you are man and you, know, you, don't, have to, you don't have to join a team you don't have yeah. to worry about the others. Come on. Yeah. But there's other stuff happening in the world beyond my attending Hereticon, despite the fact that I've had head down so much this week that I really haven't paid much attention. I do understand that uh, this week is a week of choosing and that some people are choosing <laughs> to stand with MLK and other people are choosing to stand with Bull Connor. Choosing between John Lewis and fucking George Wallace. So who's winning, gentlemen? Who do you choose? Do you choose George Wallace on one hand? I see a little gleam in your eye when I mention him. Of course. I mean, <laughs> I voted for him in 1968. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I shot him in 1972. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I in was your, upset. In your heart, you know he's right. Yeah, yeah in my, well, that's, in my that's cold water. Yeah. So it's a little different. Um, Definitely not. No, racist. I mean it's it, it is really something else to listen to. I mean that was that was a very Trumpian speech in the fact that everything was overdrawn. I mean, there was the wonderfully Trumpian thing where he said, you know, I, I went to the G7 and all the leaders said, like, how long is America going to remain normal? Like, it's going to go back, isn't it, Joe? And it's like, that's a conversation that never happened. That's like a classic thing that Trump <laughs> used to do. He's like, you know, I talked to, you know, somebody very famous who told me how much they loved me, it, that kind of thing. And then there was all of the other kind of Trumpian uh, touches to it. Oh, also, by the way, there is a full lie, like a completely deranged lie where he kind of off mic, half-heartedly said, that was the first time I got arrested. Did, did, you, did yeah, you notice yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not, that never happens. <laughs> Didn't happen. That's a lie. And maybe that would get, you know, maybe the uh, nine Pinocchios or the fact-checking crew at CNN all, all um, hot and bothered. Uh, but I, we just kind of ignore it at this point. But the point I got arrested. But no, I mean that that crescendo to what are you? What is this going to be? Right. I mean, the, this kind of abuse of historical analogy has has really taken over one side of the aisle. Right. I mean, we just had nine eleven, Pearl Harbor, possibly the Holocaust. That was January sixth. Um, and of course, it puts me in a position that I don't like of having to say those aren't the same things. And people are like, what are you like a, a, an oath keeper? I'm like, no, no, I, I, I can't. It has to be one or the other. Yeah, it's this binary thing. Like you're either a kind of Trumpista or um, you're somebody who believes that it was pretty much the same thing as Pol Pot's brief rule of Cambodia. It's pretty much the same thing. And then, of course, you have this, right? What is happening with these kind of marginal bills in, 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 in Georgia. Um, no one can eat and no one can drink online. Can you imagine that? You go back and listen <laughs> to this podcast. We address that and address the truth of that or the falsehood of that. Right. It is more on the falsehood than it is on the truth. And they're and not making say, that claim so much anymore. I don't hear that nearly as much as I, I just Biden know. Biden made it twice. Gen- yeah, but that's what I'm saying. But I'm saying that yeah. I have not heard that so much anymore, but Biden chose this speech to recycle like, all of his greatest hits. You're going to starve about the election and election uh, meddling. Mm-hmm. There were four people that died of thirst trying to vote for <laughs> Stacey Abrams. I don't know. It's a few. They went back and retroactively passed that. Yeah. Bill. Um, but no, this this thing of like, who are you for? Bull Connor or me? Imagine imagine allowing that to be the binary. You either are with Jefferson Davis. Are you serious? Yeah, he brought up Jeff. Somebody who, who you know, led a breakaway country that was trying to retain the institution of slavery and then fought a war in which, you know, how many 750,000 people died or some such? Like, this is totally insane. And the fact that nobody kind of looks at this as an arch as an eyebrow and this doesn't dominate all the coverage. I mean, of course, there were a lot of, like, Never Trumpers in the David French variety who are also saying this is completely bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was good to, good to see that. Um, yeah, because Penny know, Noonan had a had a heater in uh, in the journal as well. Uh, oh, did she? I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah. The she di- always the Dispatch had this pretty good line: "The President of the United States," and this is in quotes. The President of the United States traveled to Georgia, made a series of false claims about the electoral process, and called on Congress to do something he knew full well it would not do, unquote, end quote. That sentence was true in January 2021, and after yesterday, it's true in January 22 uh, as well. Uh, yeah, Ooh, he just both sides false equivalents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both sides of Joe Biden. Both sides of him saying bullshit. And, and what's great is that this comes after him being absolutely egged on by a 
sliver of a sliver in the press and in like lefty Twitter mm-hmm. and this of like you need to anti-democracy accuse harder. Uh, I mean, he's been browbeat by cover story in, in Mother Jones, cover story in the New Republic, a thousand Washington Post columns and everything. I'll read you just the top of one that came uh, in the uh, the New Republic by Michael Tomaski uh, from the, uh, like this week. Imagine you're going to write this as your opening paragraph, like the amount of self-awareness. Here we go. As we begin this election year, the most maddening question in American politics is this. How is it? that we're on the precipice of an authoritarian takeover of democracy by one political party and the electorate doesn't seem to care. <laughs> I mean, it's like, please clap. They've been they've been absolutely beseeching Joe Biden to go and make this shitty speech, this, this speech filled with lies about actually what the content uh, is of these votes, um, distorting the picture of what has been a 20, 30 year constant uh, electoral struggle between Democrats and Republicans. Broadly speaking, Democrats want to make it easier to vote, at least in states where there's uh, mm-hmm. the, there's enough Republicans to make it challenging. If it's like New York, they do not want to make it easy to vote, and they never do, or Delaware for that matter. It's probably harder to vote in Delaware than it is in Georgia. But Democrats like want to make it easy to vote and never want to purge any name off the rolls and keep the uh, the polls open as much as possible. Uh, Republicans uh, want to, in the name of uh, you know protecting against fraud, purge those rolls of the dead people on it because they fear some kind of Chicago thing coming over again. And this has been the terms of the debate forever. Um, it still is now with the uh, post-Trump laws. Most of the action that people are likening to Bull Connor and whatnot are in that margin that they've been fighting for 25 years. But now we are saying that democracy itself is on the ballot in every single possible little election, whether it has anything to do with Donald Trump at all or voting rights or anything like that at all. And people don't realize they're pushing on a string in terms of the hysteria. Biden bought it. And, and he like in this in this fucking speech he comes out and says i'm tired of being quiet (laughs) you are 79 years old you have been in washington dc for the last half century you have never been quiet and you've never not had influence on all kinds of things and he's sitting there when a 79 year old man is barking about being tired of being quiet you're either gonna hear some awesome racism or it's someone who's just, and I can say this out of personal experience, kind of in physical pain and have lost patience with shit. But this has nothing to do with presidentialness, and it's nothing to do with like the supposed return to adults, uh, you know, in Washington D.C. after this stuff. He was doing the thing, by the way. That's what everybody's done it. Um, I don't think Trump ever did it because I don't think he would even know how to. But um, the thing is, when you get in front of a black audience. And you're a historically black college or something. You start talking differently. Mm-hmm. You start talking about, about uh, you know, and it's like, you know, mm-hmm. he said something about Trump, the the, the, the Rathensburger or whatever the fuck his name is, Rothelsberger, <laughs> Ben <laughs> Rothelsberger tape. Um, mm-hmm. and, and when he said, you know, find the votes. And he's like, so he said at the end of it, he was like, praise be Jesus or something. And he was like, All yeah, right Trump now. didn't say that. I'm saying that. He kept on doing this thing, and he's like, you know, they're trying to find the votes, and they can't find them. They can't find them. Where are the votes? Where the votes are? 
They Zalo's can't find them because they're in my hand. They were my votes. All right, it's like, sir. dude, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what? you don't talk that way. Stop pretending. But the temptation all... is—you can understand the temptation. It's fun. I do it all the time. It's fun. The, the call and response. Podcast. Mm. Yeah. Come on yeah. now. Yeah. You want, you want to do Ex- it? Exactly. I mean, I could do anything in a version of that voice. <laughs> I got a bagel this morning. Mm. It had some bacon. Mm. I love it was bacon. Crispy. Mm. Crispy bacon. Tell us, sir. <laughs> Tell us. I want yeah. some more, my friend. <laughs> uh, more bacon. Yeah, it's funny, too, because when you're there and you're in Georgia, right? You choose, you choose Georgia, right? Yeah. You choose Georgia for a reason. Yeah. You really don't have to overplay it because the kind of Trumpian chicanery in Georgia is very real, right? And awful. And, and awful. Like, it's terrible. This is not stuff that should be accepted and Republicans should reject this stuff. But the problem is, is the kind of on-the-margins voting stuff that they try to do. And, and you know, this is the stuff that's that, that they're pitching after Trump loses and mm-hmm. Trump is saying we lost the election it's not it's not revolutionary but the ver- the reason they're putting it forward is the reason they're putting it forward is because as a sop to trumpism and to trump himself and say yes there was something fishy going on so we're going to we're going to put forward these these uh, uh uh voting right i mean everyone calls them voting rights bills um because we need to. And it's like, none of this addresses the fake thing that Trump claimed happened, of course. It's just to be like, look, we are doing something, wink, wink, because nobody actually believes this. I mean, even the people who say they believe it, most of them don't. I mean, there's a couple of mentally ill people like um, uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and people like that. Maybe Matt Gates when he's not trafficking, <laughs> trafficking 12-year-olds. What are we Those are them? accusations. I'm saying he's friendlies of him, but why? But hey, you know we've already convicted Prince Philip. Let's do it to Matt Gates too, um, who is today all, stripped of all of his royal titles. Just all royalty that. is guilty, I think. I, I mean, say. okay, Morrissey. Um, I know that that's true, but um, but yeah, no. I mean, you can actually have a conversation in which you slam Republicans for what they did in the the Kabuki theater of interview introducing um, these uh, voting. Whatever the, I don't even know. Do they, do they call them voting rights? Do they? They do. The election, uh, I mean, they yeah. say voting, voting rights. rights. Is that what it yeah. is? I mean, yeah. part of it, and and like, it's very rare that people talk about the actual concrete provisions in these bills. And so, like the uh, one of them, I forget if it's the John Lewis or the other one, um, has they want to put federal judges in a position where they can uh, approve or or not approve changes to the way things are counted. Is that automatically a good thing? You know, those mm-hmm. judges could be appointed by uh, Donald Trump. The the, 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 right. the concept, and we were trading a text about this earlier, and all these sort of democracy in peril, there's a beat now uh, in a lot of uh, elite uh, media organizations. They have a democracy desk, which they define as uh, Republicans are doing bad stuff, and we're going to write about it. Um, <laughs> it takes it takes as uh, as a given, and this is true in that uh, 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 terrible Bart Gelman uh, 37,000 word story in the Atlantic um, that, you know, shadowy dark money groups are funding um, gerrymandering efforts. It takes as a given that gerrymandering is going to be used by Republicans to game the system because that's what they do because they're an anti-majoritarian party and they're nefarious and it's terrible and they're going to and this is how they're going to win in 2022 and then it's like, you know what, there is a guy named, what's his name, Dave Wasserman from the Cook Report 
like who does nothing except pay attention to the incredibly boring fights about gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. And what has he discovered uh, so far with only like a handful of gerrymanders left? And gerrymandering is just you're redrawing the, the electoral map based on what you do every 10 years based on the census. Um, and parties get in there and they try to do it in a way that favors themselves. Well, um, uh, after all the drawing and redrawing, it looks like that Democrats mm-hmm. have created possibly three more seats than Republicans. And so all I mean, and it was just taken as face value that Republicans gerrymandering evil, bad. And then when the results come up, it's like, OK, so we're not going to talk about gerrymandering anymore. But also all these other terrible things. It's just the 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 bedrock assumption. And this and from the people who are making this, who are giving pious lectures about the need for people to care more than they care about this and for bigger and better speeches, um, those people giving journalism lectures are doing some really shit journalism. Uh, about the thing that they're supposed to be caring about. Um, so, like, uh, part of the gerrymandering process is just like part of the, the Voting Rights Act from 1965 is you're putting judges in and counting black people in a district and, and like, trying to figure out, is that the good number of black people? Is it the bad number of black people? You can see where this goes wrong. You can see where this creates <laughs> bizarre districts um, that don't have a lot to in common with one another. Um, there's all kinds of different ways that this could be bad. So it's not a given that X bill is going to be good. And also, it's not something that people are paying attention to, that Republicans in the Senate, 42 of whom voted to certify the election, only eight of whom did not uh, in 2020, they've been saying, yeah, we'd like to revise the uh, 1887 Electoral Count Act or whatever it is, which actually would have some ability to address the thing that you're supposed to be mad about, which is what Trump did, and the way that we certify and count the election. If that's the thing you care about, we'd like to do this. And Democrats are like, nah, because that doesn't do all this other voting rights stuff that has nothing, really, to do with what happened in 2020. It's madness. The the, the exact passage from uh, one of the various articles we were sharing earlier about this election act, which does, in fact, include this language that describes <laughs> gerrymandering done by the Democrats as as virtuous and good and gerrymandering done by the Republicans as bad is worth is worth entering into the record. The Freedom to Vote Act's anti-gerrymandering provisions have been construed as offering indirect protection against a congressional effort to overturn a presidential election on the assumption that it would reduce the likelihood of Republicans' control of Congress. But even that provision seems to be of waning utility as Democrats appear poised to gerrymander enough Democrat-leaning seats in New York, Illinois, and other states so as to ensure a relatively fair national fight for control of Congress. Again, explicitly suggesting that Democrat gerrymandering ensures fairness. Republican gerrymandering ensures bad outcome. Yeah, you could— Kind of nuts. It's in New York. It's in Illinois. So you can imagine, like, states where there is no Republican Party— and, and Democrats rewrite all the rules any way that they want to. Yeah. And, and wow, they've done it in such a way where there's now fewer Republicans. And that's fine because it could have been worse because Republicans could have done it. Like the, the baseline assumption. Where, where is the democracy desk on that story? They're just they're not. It's not going to be part of what they're talking what's about. What's so weird about the whole thing, though, Welch, is that none of the conversations about uh, election reforms following January 6th seem to really deal with and, and the specific concern of like transparency and and trust which is actually where the real deficit is so far as i'm concerned 
most of these articles either subtly or explicitly acknowledge that the actual consequence of most of the reforms that have been introduced by Republicans like, is not is not necessarily profound. Um, if it's meaningful at all, there's this general assertion that, you know, suggesting that people have to have driver's license is kind of worse for black voters in general, that um, mail-in voting is presumed to benefit Republicans um, in certain places and Democrats in other places. And apparently the, the presumptions have flipped now because the trend seems to have changed in Georgia. Um, but these changes are rather modest. And I'm wondering like, what interesting technologically or otherwise policies we might be able to pursue to actually deliver what would help here, which is giving people a little bit more confidence in the system by giving them a little more visibility into how the process works, um, rather than just focusing on this question of voting rights and whether or not um, the the specific reforms being proposed are likely to have some sort of disparate, um, yeah. trivial racial impact. In some ways, there's I don't care um, about reassuring uh, Republicans who believe the 2020 election but not was just Republicans. Because, we well, had no, concerns just, I, well, about this. I, I, we had concerns I, I, about I, I, this in the last election, too. And that was Democrats. No, but who I'll, were worried about I'll, I'll, start, I'll start there. I'll start there yeah. and say, because that's that's what, you know, we're dealing with uh, now mm-hmm. in a pretty uh, significant way. Um, mostly because there's no persuading people who have come to a conclusion with an absence of evidence. I mean, if there's no evidence and you come to a conclusion, there's no point in talking to you. Um, the the thing though is I'd give some advice to um, whoever wrote Biden's psychopathic sidewander of a speech <laughs> is that you have to understand something here is that when people get down to brass tacks about this and you say that this is just like being on the Edmund Pettus Bridge where I'm sure um, Joe Biden was attacked by dogs and, and arrested I don't yes. I, it'll come up soon um, he's the he's the uh, the zealot of yeah. uh, of the 20th century while at the uh, same time ex- well at the same time I think being the first member of his coal mining family to graduate from high school so that was yeah really, uh... I, I mean look and you know when corn pop said I'm driving down you want to ride he said sure I'll come with you that sounds good um, skillet corn pop they're all there but the thing about this is when you say this to people right and you say that this is just as bad as X Y and Z and you, you list all these horrors in recent American history and then one of those things it turns out is voter ID Here's the thing I'll tell you about that. It doesn't. You, you can have all these academic discussions about it. You can have these these back and forth editorials in the New York Times and Wall Street Journal and stuff about this. Is that if you ask the average person about voter ID, they say, of course, and they all presume, by the way, that it's required anyway. That, that they're like, I didn't even know that that was a thing. That voter ID was not actually required to vote. And particularly when people do the basic math on this and say, why is it that I am absolutely required? to have a, a, a license to get on an airplane, but not to actually cast a vote in an election. That's how people think of this stuff. So when it comes down to these things, like that's why they have to say, well, you know, in, in this actual um, speech, it's all about they want to starve you in line. They don't want to give you water. They don't want to give you uh, food, and which doesn't even pass the most basic smell test. But as far as like other people saying this too, I came across something the other day that I hadn't known about mostly because it's from a guy who is not worth paying attention to, who is a complete nut. It has somehow been laundered into the mainstream. He used to do shows on the BBC, and this book was published by Penguin Random House. But Matt will know um, the ridiculous Greg Palast. Oh, yeah. Um, who used to wear a fedora and say, you know, this is what journalists wear, so I'll wear a fedora. 
and that gives him some sort of authority. And it's like, no, you just look like a fucking loser. And it's like, uh, you know, we probably had a press card in it at one point. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah I don't know. Like, maybe he put that in the hat when he went down to Plum for Hugo Chavez. But he wrote a book that came out in June of this year. Do you know what the name of that book was? How Trump Stole 2020. Mm. And that is a book that has a blurb in the front from the Chicago Tribune, has a blurb in the back from Jesse Jackson, somebody from the Young Turks. And um, he says that it's going to be stolen. Um, uh, Palas lets you in on the nasty secrets of Trump, Trump America's. That doesn't even mean that, nope. <laughs> Trump America's <laughs> democracy. One in five mail-in ballots are never counted. The chance of your vote being thrown in the garbage is 900% higher if you're black than if you're white. 16.7 mm. million voters were purged from the rolls in the past two years. Guess their color. And so on and so forth. And then it, it broadens it away from just the racial thing and saying that if uh, Trump wins, it's stolen. So that's not what happened, right? But I, I, the other thing happened. The opposite thing happened. But never, ever forget that that would have happened if this were true. Remember the, you know... Uh, conspiracy theories about uh, post boxes being piled up in you know a Chicago suburb or whatever the hell the fucking wild conspiracy was but that stuff was out there to, to for people to make it sound as if this was just like a virgin birth it came out of nowhere and we do point out that this happened in every previous election uh, to varying degrees obviously um, with the exception as we pointed out in 2012 where no person could even imagine or conspiracy theorize that Mitt Romney won. Um, <laughs> but somebody pointed, I think it was on Twitter today, and I'll knock it back to you guys because I'm sure you remember this, that Joe Biden, who's out there giving this, the, the, the psychopathic stem winder, uh, said all of these things about, about race and about Strom Thurmond, and even Strom Thurmond was fine with this stuff. These people are worse than Strom Thurmond. Um, and they're worse than George Wallace, etc. Do you remember when he, what he said about um, Mitt Romney in 2012 kind of forgotten about this and somebody tweeted it that he's going to that Mitt Romney Mitt Romney was going to put black people back in chains that was the <laughs> right phrase. right remember yeah. that yeah, yeah, yeah. I, remember, I remember the cadence that's what made it seem so credible yes exactly because mm -hmm. he said back in He'll chains put y'all back in chains <laughs> yeah, he's exactly. gonna put y'all back in chains <laughs> yeah that's when he was like, reaching into hillary <laughs> clinton's cool. bag and pulling out her hot sauce and be like mm, give me some hot sauce um, <laughs> this is a spicy one um Any, anybody yeah, like, got any new ports <laughs> anybody got any new ports they're gonna put y'all back in chains you know that right you know all right got some hot sauce from Romney. my new ports here's oh, what i'm God. gonna say from that I don't believe you anymore. If you say that Mitt Romney was like, slavery is coming back because of Mitt Romney. And it's like, yeah, you've lost all credibility on that issue, Joe. Yeah, I was looking at today at, uh, this is like a, a random, what did, was not searching for this. I was actually searching on the phrase seditious conspiracy because uh, a couple of uh, uh, people in the January 6th uh, case, including that leader of the Oath Keepers, Stuart mm -hmm. Rhodes, who was interviewed in Reason Magazine when I was the editor by Radley Balco. Mm. fact. Oh, well, um, it's actually a pretty he interesting would. interview. He would interview him, uh, yeah, platforming uh, him. Radley did a good job interviewing <laughs> him. Actually, it was it was uh, it was interesting. And <laughs> Rhodes Rhodes has uh, has certainly evolved uh, since then. Um, mm. This a, a Ron Paul guy from 2008, like Camille uh, and uh, <laughs> Yale Law School. But anyways, I was just doing a search on seditious co conspiracy, and I found a, a blog post that I wrote in 2013. I totally don't remember it. Mm -hmm. um, 
but it was uh, people associated, uh, the, just more great blasts of the world uh, than writing for uh, Huffington Post and then MSNBC. And then there's a group of moveon.org people who wanted, suggested in public, to try for uh, on charges of seditious conspiracy uh, and also even treason. Ed Schultz, remember Ed Schultz? Uh, God rest his soul. He's dead. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, he's, he's in such good shape, too. He suggested, in all seriousness, that John Boehner would be guilty of treason in 2013 for, like... Uh, Smoking uh, in, in the uh, rotunda? Opposing <laughs> opposing Obamacare. Oh. And, like, treason. trying to slow its its rollout. Yeah, so, like, this, like the built-in hysteria... God bad faith hysteria is it, it's so much surrounding us that we forget like this is probably the third uh, Greg Palast book about a, a stolen election that didn't yeah. turn out to be stolen um, the only it, ones that aren't stolen according to Greg Palast by the way and you can look this up are the ones yeah. that are won by Hugo Chavez <laughs> actually yeah here's the thing about with when you, when you point when you point to that stuff of um of uh the old uh i guess ed schultz was like a labor guy and he was like a former conservative radio host and he'd been in that universe for so long he'd been a radio host and then he'd been on msnbc and i think that did, was he the one that went to rt one of these msnbc yeah he, he, he might he might have gone to rt too which is spasm yeah yeah no it's really an admirable place to end your career it's like it's it's like when david beckham came and played for la or something it's like that's where you go and you can't do it in europe anymore but uh here's the thing and it's pretty obvious when you're saying that um john boehner of all people or, or mitt romney is like being a politician we know that this is true but it's also true for people on television again basic point here but it's worth remembering and people on Twitter, which are people on television who are too ugly and bad on TV to be on television, so they do it on Twitter, right? <laughs> and so here is the thing. When you're on all the time, it makes you an insane person, right? If you're on Twitter all the time, it makes you an insane person. Everybody on cable is a fucking insane person. Like, if you look on across the spectrum, oh, my God, it's both sides of them. No, no. When you have to feed that fucking beast 24 hours a day, mm. the things that come out of your mouth are fucking nuts and you see this happen to people who were once credible who were once like sober people and they got the opportunity to be tv people and the next thing you know somebody who used to be a sober you know contemplative person is making the most bananas bananas claims in comparisons on cnn on fox and msnbc but like i've seen this particularly in the last four years in cnn you know it's ha it happens happen to so many people it's like you guys step back from the precipice it's not that you've found the revealed truth. It's that you've been deranged by politics and you've been deranged by the news cycle. I'd like to, to step back. I'd like to point people in the direction, uh, in the opposite direction of an actual helpful uh, piece that I read a few days ago, uh, published by Shikadalmia, who used to work for a reason, uh, has a new thing called The Unpopulist, uh, which I think is a newsletter or a Substack or whatever. Um, and she um, uh, published a piece by Andy Craig, who used to be pretty senior muckety-muck in the Libertarian Party, uh, serial candidate, been on national uh, committees. He's always fighting with the Mises Caucus people and Dave Smith and all that. And most of that's pretty tedious. And you don't have to think about it in terms of this piece. But it, he understands how local politics or politics is administered and managed locally. And he went and he poked at all of the many weak points that one could look at and be worried about post-2020, post-January 6th, of where nefarious Trumpite Republicans, and I'm not using that sarcastically, in air quotes, I think that they're nefarious, and Trump, uh, chief among them, are trying to poke and do things. And, like, w what's vulnerable and what isn't? 
and it was a very concrete and tangible piece, unlike 99% of the Democracy Dies in Darkness beat. And surprisingly, uh, perhaps, if you've been just sort of marinating in, in the uh, Democracy in Peril beat, um, it doesn't look as bad as one would, would worry. Um, like he points at this is the judicial thing that you have to, to be thinking about. Here are the the local electoral officials here who are, are trying to be swapped out by uh, Trumpies, and they're the ones who believe in Stop the Steal, and here's the ones who don't. Um, but it's kind of a handful of mm. areas, and he reminds us uh, uh, early and often in the piece that, uh, as and this uh, uh, goes to what Moynihan has said many times, is that uh, in many ways you can look at uh, January 2021, as awful as the riot was, and now the you know allegedly seditious conspiracy aspect of that riot among a couple of people. We'll see how if those things hold up better than it did for the uh, Hutaris, right, uh, Michael, up in the up in Michigan. Um, that one uh, uh, fell apart, but they're uh, called Hutus and Tutsis, Matt. It's different ones, <laughs> different ones now. Um, but uh, uh, that the system held. There were 64 court cases, and Trump lost all of them except for one. Uh, there were a whole bunch of uh, small, little, volunteer, Republican-appointed electoral officials who said, no, not going to do that. They did that in Maricopa County as recently as last week, told Trump to go screw themselves. They re-audited everything. Um, so there's a series of that, and Andy Craig goes through, and he sort of lists it. Here's that person. Here's this election. Here's this alleged weak point. Here's my assessment of it going forward. And it's so much less hysterical. And because of the diffuse nature of American uh, election having, um, it makes pretty uh, vulnerable or not vulnerable, but it makes it difficult to to hijack it because there isn't one single pressure point. Um, and uh, and. As usual, especially with Democrats, but Republicans do this too, like when you see this calamity coming forward, you think, okay, how can I fix this in such a way to make it easier to happen? <laughs> let's have one exact rule from Washington about, let's have one toggle switch about elections rather than have a gigantic, messy smorgasbord that we have now that actually makes it kind of difficult for a nefarious actor. Will it be easier for Trump to manipulate it in 2024 if he runs again? I think probably will be easier because he will have effected some changes in personnel and places and he's established as kind of a, a, a semi-litmus test among a percentage of Republicans that they believe in this nonsense, um, but that's still going to be really difficult. So go read that unpopulist Andy Craig piece if you're actually scared about this, but if you prefer just freaking out and urinating on yourself, don't let me stand in the way. Don't let Matt stand in the way <laughs> of you <laughs> urinating on yourself. Yeah. Just, I, want that, I want to be clear about that, Matt. I mean, look, he likes what he likes. It's fine. I know. I know. No judgment here. Not on the I mean, a little bit. Podcast. I mean, he's, he's kind of fucking <laughs> gross, but whatever. It's fine. I let him go. Yeah, I, I don't know when it... I'm, I don't know if you dissent from the perspective I was offered in any sort of meaningful sense, but it does seem to me that the appropriate place to focus, especially after that thoughtful exposition by Welch there, the, the thing to focus on is really any mechanisms that we can draw on to provide additional credibility and visibility into how the election is proceeding and to where the vote totals are. And I can't say that I have any solutions that I could propose offhand yeah. that I think I can say with confidence will definitely work. But it does seem to me that you could perhaps discredit some of the people who are likely to cry foul in the event that things don't go their way in the next major election cycle. And 
it doesn't matter who wins and who loses. We can know with with certainty that those claims of yeah. misconduct are going to come forward. It's going to happen. I mean, I'm of two minds in this. I mean, I understand where you're coming from. Um, I do have the instinct, though, but that to treat this with any level of seriousness is to say that something is amiss and something does exist and one mm. has to push back on it. That kind of worries me in some ways. I can appreciate um, but that. But no, I, I mean, I also, I, 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 get, I get the idea that it's actually the opposite of what the most people want to do when it comes to lunatics on, you know, the Alex Joneses of the world or, you know, whoever they are. Um, I mean, these are the ones that get kicked off. There's lunatics on all sides, um, both sides of them. All sadism. <laughs> um, but, you know, that is the opposite because it's like, you know, let's engage these people with their ideas and disprove what they're saying. Uh, my concern about that is, is that is that down the line, this is where it gets complicated. So because down the line is always where you start banning people from YouTube and from Facebook and whatever, because you say, yes, there's no reasoning with the Alex Joneses of the world. But the people that are kind of picking this stuff up on Facebook posts, etc., uh, they're the ones we can actually get through to. And mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure that that is true or it's that simple because I've always told people that there's no purpose in ever debating a conspiracy theorist. Like I did, when I first interviewed my, the only time I interviewed um, Alex Jones, I spent the day with him. I didn't sit there and try to disprove what he was, was saying. There's no point in doing that because the second you say that's not true and he's like, well, I got a government document here. And it's like, no, you don't. That's not real, or you're misreading it. In every single off-ramp is exhausting, right? Yeah. So there's, like, no way of actually debating somebody who's, like, just a fantastically skilled liar and will... I mean, that's why you can't really debate Trump, because he's just going to rewrite... We had this conversation the other day uh, on text about um, uh, who's good at... at uh, uh, or, or actually interviewing Trump. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, that's the thing, is you can't debate these people, so what do you do down the line? And if people believe that the elections are in jeopardy or they're being stolen... It predates Facebook. It predates all of social media. It certainly happened in 2000. It certainly happened in every election since. There was, you know, mainstream organizations. There were people in Congress who were saying that in 2004 that Ohio was stolen. Like, literally, there were people mm -hmm, in Congress. Mm -hmm. And, like, the, I mean, everyone is taking a position that they would take in a different situation were it, you know, uh, adversely affecting the other party, right? Mm. I mean, and, and that was actually, I, I said to both of you guys that, um, you know, you have to give credit where credit's due to Tom Cotton, who, you know, on the filibuster, literally, he's just a bad actor. He, he performed it poorly, but he went up and gave a speech and the, a, a very pro-filibuster speech and don't mess with 250 years of tradition, et cetera. And then at the end reveals that the speech was given by Chuck Schumer. And it was it was it was an expertly crafted thing. It was a poorly executed thing. But that's the thing in all of these things, when it comes to voting, when it comes to the filibuster, everybody has taken three positions on this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why do you think people don't trust the po politicians in the media? Because nobody is ever honest about this stuff. And it's mm -hmm. very, very frustrating. Yeah, that's, so I, would... I don't think you can ever really convince people that, that anything's above board. That's why I mentioned that. is because everything think, is always full of shit. I think that that's an important aspect of it. It's like when we were talking about when Harry Reid you know, died, the fact that he lied about Mitt Romney and bragged about it. Um, and like that was a great thing that I did because he lost, right? So cool. Um, that approach to politics is just dripping off of everybody. People can see it. Marco Rubio gave... You know, a barn burst burner of a speech, I think, yesterday. Um, 
making fun of people who are overhyping January 6th. I think he's got some point to that. But then people pointed out that actually on January 6th, he was comparing the ransacking of the uh, of the Capitol to be like the Cuban Revolution. Like he was really uh, freaked out back then. So everyone sort of goes in those positions. That might I mean, I would argue, Camille, that I would guess not more mm-hmm. than argue that 2020 was the most transparent presidential election we've ever had. Um why? Just because it was so heavily litigated, that litigation um, was so uh, is available at our fingertips in a way that mm-hmm. 2000 was not just that we didn't have the diffusion of the Internet. There isn't a possibility to you know see live through the window of counting votes over there. That's just there wasn't a mechanism to do that stuff 30 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. after all of that, a majority of Republicans, very solid majority of Republicans, think that the election was somehow stolen or illegitimate in some way. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think that adding the transparency, I agree with Michael, but I don't think that adding it is going to subtract meaningfully from the that pathology. The The behavior that subtracts from the pathology is uh, high-profile behavior of people involved to not be the Chuck Schumer, to not be the Tom Cotton and the Marco Rubio, or uh, the Donald to Trump. Not, or, or to <laughs> not be the, or the Washington Post sure. to not to not be someone who is very very easily immediately disprovably unbalanced in their assessments of what side democracy and gerrymandering or whatever is dying in darkness when everyone sort of feels like that everybody else is cynical then all the transparent information in a diffused society again because there's so much crap that there's mm-hmm. always there's always that well, did you see that one truck right in Detroit. That proves everything. And I've seen a lot of yeah. people who were at Hereticon, as a matter of fact, or at least were supposed to be at Hereticon, uh, a couple, not a lot, but a couple of okay. who were pointing at, you know, every little shred of the, uh, you know, you know, one interesting, tiny, disputable piece of the five trillion pieces of, of uh, evidence. And, you know, you double the amount of evidence, you're going to double the shreds. Yeah, that, uh, they, that they can point on. So I, I don't have a lot of confidence in that. I think people, you know, Paul Gosar, who's one of the biggest idiots in Congress, he's a guy who should be farted on as he walks out of his door every is, day. Is that, is that, huh, that's an interesting, no. that is oh, very interesting proposal. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. I was going to say other stuff, but then I was like, I don't want to actually, you know, I don't want the violence. I don't want my, to be misconstrued. But he's, he walks around. What does he say about January 6th every day? He says, release the tapes. Release the tapes. Like what? what tapes? Uh, the fourteen thousand hours of footage inside of the cameras in the Capitol building, and if they were really being transparent, and we'd really know, you know, uh, what what part of Antifa staged this riot? There's uh, literally it, fifty million hours of footage <laughs> that is online. <laughs> is, is he serious? Yeah, release the tapes. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. says it every day. Look, uh, I, I don't think I don't think what what you're saying is is necessarily <laughs> incompatible with my my view on this. I think it is certainly the case that malfeasance, sloppiness, incompetence, imprudence, unseriousness on the part of journalists has contributed to the problem. I do think to the extent that there is going to be conversation about what happened, that it it makes a meaningful difference if policymakers are talking about this in terms of transparency and they're thinking about things like, let's say, some sort of meaningfully bipartisan organization that makes determinations and certifies whether things were above board in one place or another. This is, again, a layer of protection, a layer of transparency that can give people a sense that what's happening here is above board and that we're 
being thoughtful and rigorous when we're examining things. And I, I do think that it is necessarily true that once you lose confidence in a lot of the, the mainstays of the media's ability to be to play the game in a fair and earnest way when it comes to calling balls and strikes, it contributes to an environment where there's a great deal of doubt and skepticism. And I, I'd also say, like, I've certainly heard you say it before, Moynihan, and I think I generally agree, and I totally understand the impulse to avoid the debate with Alex Jones. But, <laughs> but I do think it becomes, it's incumbent on people who think it matters whether or not most people have agreement on basic facts of reality to try and find persuasive compelling ways to communicate things that are are true to inject nuance into debates that are going in the wrong direction to complicate the narrative around assertions that are made by nefarious actors in the media and in the polity it's not enough to throw them off of platforms and i I also don't think it's enough to to ignore them completely you know you you perhaps aren't responding to absolutely everything that they say in specific ways um, or allowing them to lead you down this avenue where they continue to appeal to studies that no one else has seen or to misrepresent those studies but the media ecosystem that we find ourselves in now seems to demand a meaningful response to shitty assertions that are made repeatedly that gain a certain level of volume and impact the polity. I, I just don't know that we have a choice. No, I mean, I think that what I we have to establish... I apologize for the depth of my voice as no, well. No, no, I've been, no, I've been talking in loud crowds. No, I mean, it's like, it's, it's like having just... a conversation with a political Barry White. It's very, very... <laughs> not Barry Weiss, but Barry White. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Maybe snoozy. Hey, yeah. yeah it's, uh, <laughs> no, the thing is, I'm going to create something right now. I'm going to create okay. a, a, a category that popped into my head. I just want to push it now. Okay. I haven't thought it through. So okay. even if it's bad, I'm going to stick to it. I believe in um, you. Go for it. <laughs> we have to understand that we're living in a conspiratorial moment. Yes. And realize that everything is conspiracy, not just the Alex Joneses of the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that the one thing that is leading us down this weird path is an idea that I'm going to call the plausible conspiracy theory, right? The Russia stuff is plausible conspiracy, but it's a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. There wasn't the evidence to support it. It went into these wild domains. It kind of spidered out into these totally crazy places and took root uh, amongst very serious people who decided to become very unserious because it seemed plausible. And it was it was certainly plausible in the sense that you know the Russian government would definitely prefer Donald Trump in this. He made uh, enough noises to suggest that he was going to be far easier than, uh, you know, the country that already had a history with Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State. Not surprising. Did they try to monkey with our election? Well, people are stupid and they're really fucking dumb and they hadn't heard of this before. They're like, have you heard of Compromat? Have you heard of this? (laughs) It's like, yeah, no, I have about 85,000 books on my shelf about the KGB and I do understand that this has happened uh, probably since the mid-30s, I would say from the NKVD to the GRU to all of these people that tried to, to, to monkey with the election. We do it. They do it. It's not surprising. So it became a kind of plausible conspiracy theory. But, you know, you can lump these in with the ridiculous conspiracy theories mm-hmm. because the, the result is the same. It doesn't matter if you're saying that, you know, turning the frogs gay or some uh, Alex Jones kind of thing. <laughs> it's like because people used to point out to me, it's well, population there's a study, control. Population actually, control. there's an MIT study. And if you look at it, there is some kind of line in there that is 
something close to what Alex Jones said, right? <laughs> it was just bizarre, right? And of course, he says this because he believes the new world order is kind of taking over or whatever. Yeah. But there's the just too many, there's just too many people. We have to thin out the herd. Yeah, well, that's basically, yeah. So now yeah. there's going to be a bunch of, like, frogs that are into Jimmy Somerville and, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck it's, it's bizarre. But it's, but it's really funny that these, like, everywhere you go, if you go on MSNBC, if you go on CNN, if you go on Fox, all of these places are constantly indulging in conspiracy theory. So when people are saying that, you know, oh, these conspiracy theories have to be shoved off of this platform. Now, is there a higher volume when it comes to Alex Jones. Yeah, I mean, everything the guy says is a conspiracy theory. It's just he has a, a deeply kind of disturbed way of looking at the world, and I think he believes it, and I just think it's bizarre and, and crazy. And when you find a nugget of something that might be true in there, you say, oh, see, he actually is, uh, you know, a guy that is, he should be taken seriously. He shouldn't be, of course. But it, it doesn't matter the volume. Don't, don't pay attention to that. Pay attention to the fact that the, this level of conspiracy theory has really overwhelmed everybody. And the problem is that they believe, because they believe in the plausible conspiracy theory, that they are somehow more virtuous and that they are not great. I mean, look at COVID. The, the COVID things on a million different levels. I mean, you were called a conspiracy theorist when you said that the... Mm -hmm. the I mean, you were literally taken off of platforms mm -hmm. if you said the lab leak theory was, was, was plausible and it seemed actually likely. And then, you know, two years later, Jon Stewart is grabbing the camera... Mm -hmm. on the Stephen Colbert show saying, why is this so not obvious to everybody? It was obvious to, it should have been obvious to me. Like you have this class of people that are literally, you know, as we were saying, not doctors, not historians. They're taking people offline for saying something that might not have been conventional wisdom at the time, but seemed totally plausible. So this kind of thing of like, who becomes a conspiracy theorist? The, the people who are throwing that charge so much are people that are telling me that we are on the precipice of fascism. That is a conspiracy <laughs> theory, people. Yes. I'm sorry. That's not real. And if you know anything about fascism, even if you're including like Salazar or Franco, and you don't mean Hitler, they always mean Hitler. They want it to be redolent of Hitler. But when you press them, they kind of switch to Mussolini, but they mean Hitler. If you think that we're on that point, you are a conspiracy theorist or you're a paranoiac. I mean, some version, one's not necessarily better than the other. Mm -hmm. So this sense that everybody is, is kind of been overwhelmed by the politics of the women and Donald Trump um, I think drove everybody a bit crazy um, but the, the weird thing is no one is stepping back and acknowledging oh that was that was a time we went a bit crazy at yeah that not point. at all no yeah. not at all we really sounds should. like that you two guys are in favor of having all these newspapers have their fact-checking departments right because they that's what yeah. they, they spend a deal of time you know tracing down what Sarah Palin says or what uh, what uh, what Alex Jones says that happens in fact checking yeah. and your politifacts and your and all these different things. And yet I'm kind of guessing that you don't love what comes out of the politifacts. Uh, it's not that I don't love it. I, just, I mean, I, I, there's two things that I don't like about it. And there's one thing that I do. The two things I don't like about it is, number one, it is assigned this kind of talismanic, like with a fact check. And it's like they're often wrong. I mean, I've seen right. fact checks that are actually wrong. Right. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is it's not that they are always wrong and even if they're always right it's 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 a kind of bias of emphasis whereas you know it's mm -hmm. like there's only they're only fact checking certain things and it's the thing that i'll mention every every episode until the end of biden's presidency it's the without evidence thing that disappeared after donald trump uh, was no longer president in the newspapers it's like yeah, i'm fine with that just keep going with everybody so that emphasis thing is a problem too but you know i do like that there is some would be some mechanism for somebody to say, 
here's 10 things that became kind of talking points, not randomly selected. I think that'd be kind of interesting to get mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. in a way that like, okay, here are things that just by volume, we looked at Nexus databases and everything, were claims that were made in the last week. I don't know how you'd actually um, do that, but mm -hmm. I'm sure somebody clever could, could figure it out and say, let's look at the, 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 the truth of these claims. Mm -hmm. Because it was really interesting to get Sonia Sotomayor's idea that uh, two, uh, 10, 100,000 100, kids were, were, were in hospital because of COVID. Mm -hmm. That had to be really pushed through Twitter to actually make it onto CNN, which it made it onto the website. So that's not true. Um, CDC didn't mention anything about it. I imagine if, if um, you know, back in the day, if it was Scalia or something, it would have, it would have reached the CDC. So I think that there's always facts that, like, you know, the, the plausible conspiracy theory kind of thing. It's like, yeah, they're wrong, but they're wrong in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Probably not worth talking about. Whereas the other people are wrong in a direction that's going to destroy democracy. And if you start thinking like that, then you start prizing certain lies over others. Yeah. And that's not interesting. I mean, all of them should be... Um, you know, attacked with the same vim, vigor, if they're actually making a lot of waves in the conversation. If it's some random person, who cares? But, yeah. but some random congressman, who cares? They're always, and state senators, that's my favorite, they're like literally collections of nutcases in almost every state in the country. And like, you know, they said something about, you know, aliens or January 6th. It's like, who fucking cares? That's a, that's a local issue. It's not something that should be, you know, tweeted out by um, you know, a political reporter at the Washington Post. Did you guys see this uh, Quinnipiac uh, poll from earlier in the week? Six in 10 believe democracy is in danger of collapse. Also had some pretty negative Biden approval numbers, 33%, which is not great. Yeah, it's incredible. I wonder if you guys saw that. Yeah. Uh, and I think the support among Latinos, Latinxes, uh, was like <laughs> 25% for a Democratic presidency. That doesn't sound like it's doesn't bode go, well. No, going in, in the right directions. But more importantly, did you see uh, Kamala Harris's <laughs> interview with Craig Melvin? Who's oh yeah, great, actually. Oh yeah, Craig is a, a he's a great dude. Uh, he's like a, just a serious news guy. He's not uh, a clown anchor at all. Uh, and he was just asking the normal question of like, hey, you know, COVID doesn't doesn't seem to be going that great right now. Should we be changing policy? Okay, it's sort of a vague question, but it's a. Tee it up to a sitting vice president. They might be able to say something. And my justification for bringing this up about the Quinnipiac thing is like Kamala's not helping. Um, no, <laughs> no. This is this is her quote it, with gravity, this shaking of the head that she does, um, mm -hmm. just the serious, the, the furrowed eye, you know, the forehead. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time <laughs> is every day. Six former. Administration officials last week wrote that open letter urging the administration to change course, to change strategy. Is it time? It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us to agree that there are things and tools that are available to us to slow this thing down. Wait, sorry, <laughs> read, read that again? Yeah. Read it again. <laughs> I need, I need to hear it again. The, 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 again, the question is, you know, should we be thinking about changing directions? Things aren't going so hot. COVID I just policy. want to hear the quote again. It doesn't even matter the context. <laughs> it is time for us to do what we have been doing. And that time is every day. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. Is that a quote from Ringo Starr? Is that, that is, 
<laughs> peace of love. Yeah, peace of love. Like Yogi uh, Berra is our <laughs> vice president. We, there's more. There's more. Every day it is time for us to agree that there are things and tools that are available to us to slow this thing down. Master yes. of saying nothing. Very, very well put. <laughs> nothing. The I cannot wait for the big book of political speeches to go to its newest edition. They can have that one on the cover. Good Lord. How many people have like, quit her office because she just obviously doesn't do any homework? She's obviously a fucking idiot. I mean, it's it's like, well, she's not stupid. I'm like, if for this job she is, right? I mean, I mean, I she could be great at other things, like putting poor people in jail or whatever she would do otherwise. Um, I mean, even, even Beto O'Rourke would do like a beat poetry slam or something like that and be yeah. kind of convincing to... Who yeah. drop an F-bomb in there? That's what, yeah. that's what Beto does. Yeah, this yeah. is a real fucking mess. <laughs> that's how he shows his I am like one of the kids. I used to be in a band. <laughs> this is go-to Fuck move. you. What am I running for this year? That's my Beto O'Rourke president. I was in a band. <laughs> Fuck you, buddy. I'm going to be the president. Dude, you're on Vanity Fair and you couldn't live like on the cover and you couldn't win a fucking local election <laughs> lord what <laughs> loser uh yeah biden's biden is uh is is bad and he's and he's now he's he's not gonna be quiet anymore uh camille so <laughs> imagine the next year I'm of for quiet. so many years i mean so we're, many rec years. we're recording this on thursday <laughs> thursday what home what <laughs> what talking <laughs> Biden gave, gave his big speech. Was it just yesterday? It was this week, Tuesday or Wednesday. I forget which day. It was crazy, and he was mad, and he's not good. No more quiet. And Bull Connor, <laughs> and then like uh, Kirsten, Kirsten Cinema today goes on the Senate floor uh, in a very you know somber, somber purple uh, dress, and uh, and just says, "Nah, -uh, I'm not going to end the filibuster, and that's bad, and that's part." And she actually made a lot of Camille Lish. Uh, points about bringing the overall political temperature down, imagining a world where you actually have to talk with people you disagree with and hear what they have to say and like try to convince them and have a discussion and and things of that nature. But it's, she said, we're definitely not going to change the filibuster. Joe Manchin today uh, said the same thing, I think, in writing. So Biden doesn't get anywhere with his big going to do this thing today. And then the Supreme Court um, basically Smashing laughs him. at his... Yeah. Uh, his OSHA mandate, uh, so that doesn't go anywhere. And he's facing the pendulum absolutely swinging in the other direction super uh, hard, and all he and his people are doing are doing what Michael Tomaski is saying. It's like, why aren't everyone realizing that we're about to have an authoritarian takeover of the democracy? Like, as if that is going to swing the vote. You know, that's going to that's gonna be, if, if they do it louder, if they use even more adjectives this time, more comparisons to more fascist uh, countries, then finally people are going to wake up and realize that the local dog catcher election will be catastrophic for democracy if it goes for a, a Republican instead of a Democrat. He's in a bad way. He's in a super mm -hmm. bad way. And But like, here's the, the silver lining for him is that it's possible, and I think in this case kind of probable, that a month from now we are going to look at the pandemic totally differently than we do uh, right now and then, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks uh, it, as it goes up. And yeah. It's going to freak out. And when it, we're on the other side of that, and we're going to get there pretty soon in New York. And then it's yeah. just fucking doorknob looking and, festival. And no one's going to care um, because we've been I mean, no one's going to care about <laughs> the things they said before and the mistakes that they made because we're all just going to be so happy to be on the other side of it. Yeah. That it's just going to be like, I don't really want to go back and, you know, referee the past. 
But as far as it, it's, it's really funny, and I don't know if this is true, but just of an instinct, because I remember it so well, and I don't know how, again, when we quantify it, I mean, you probably could, is that I just remember in the first year of Donald Trump's presidency, the like tea leave reading that every media organization did about his plummeting poll numbers. That it was mm-hmm. historically bad. It was mm-hmm. constant, constant, yeah. constant. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was totally relevant because it, it like, it, it was surprising that the guy won, and then out of the gate, he, you know, so you, you remember the the what's his name from CNN who was like, this is the moment he became a president, and then he never became a president. Yeah. <laughs> just like he was just that same asshole, and uh, it was <laughs> it was always people were waiting for that and it didn't happen. So yeah. I think that probably helped his numbers plan. But Joe Biden is just really just this downward spiral to, you know, 30 odd percent. And I don't really hear much about it. I had to go look for the numbers today because I was trying to, I mean, on the home pages of everywhere I was going, it wasn't it wasn't being trumpeted. But um, and it's not saying that people aren't reporting on it. They are, of course. But I just remember it being a constant thing, like like almost like a like a tachometer on the screen of uh, CNN. I'm like, oh, no, it's down, it's more, it's down, it's more. And everyone's like, America hates him. America mm-hmm. really already, hates him. Already, right. already by September of last year, um, Biden had established himself. And he started off with numbers that uh, Trump never saw. Like, he started off with, like, around 60%, uh, give or take, uh, of approval. And Trump never got there for a half yeah. a second. Um, and then it just went straight downhill yeah. in a hurry, especially among independents. Um, and uh, so as of September... The two least popular presidencies in the polling era were definitively Biden and Trump. And you, now I might even have the uh, the order re- uh, removed. It might be Biden more now than than Trump. Um, and that's interesting. I mentioned that top line figure from the poll um, that nearly six in 10 think that the nation's democracy is in danger of collapse. But it is interesting to look beneath the fold on that particular one. Democrats, 83 percent. Independents, 78 percent. Republicans, 66 percent. Okay, all of these majorities believe that political instability in the U.S. is a huge danger. But then when you look at the specific question of whether or not democracy is in danger of collapse, 62 percent of Republicans say so, 57 percent of independents and 56 percent of Democrats. It's perhaps the only thing that Americans still agree. Yeah. The whole thing is going to implode. The system is broken. This is almost that. In fact, in a sense. All of the democracy is in peril. It's it's in danger of collapse. The people who seem to, to want to believe that the most, according to this poll, are Republicans. <laughs> well, odd. I mean, it's odd you gotta, the same messaging I suppose, is working. I suppose but. you got to to word it to, to make them believe it more. It's just that build back better is a uh, is a globalist takeover um, <laughs> that the red Chinese are have corrupted everything about America and, you know, fill in the blank from there and, yeah. and you're fine. People are positively apocalyptic. Yeah. That yeah. is the vibe in America at the moment. I, I just wish I understood whether or not we were apocalyptic for the same reasons. I, I suspect that there is at least some healthy percentage of Americans who see the kind of dysfunction that I think we generally talk about, the kind of systemic dysfunction, not in a racial systemic way, but in a fundamentally systemic way. Both of the parties throughout the media by and large, um, it, it just seems yeah, to lend itself yeah. lend itself to a degree of severe unseriousness. I think those are deceptive numbers, much in the way, speaking of race, much in the way that some of those poll numbers about race mm-hmm. in people's perceptions, because most of the people who say, you know, America's a 
sort of unforgiving and racist country. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people that I know in Brooklyn who think that, you know, there's the Klan is probably marching down Main Street in 90% of America's towns. They think that, that this, you know, that when you ask them how many people are shot by the police unarmed, they give you numbers like 1,000, yeah. 2,000. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of crazy. So when they ask, like, how are race relations in America, it's the other person syndrome. In the mm-hmm. sense of like, well, I'm fine. Everybody yeah. else is terrible. And it's also like the, the, the same thing when you, you're talking about is democracy dying or is it about to perish? I mean, they hear rumblings of this in the news constantly and, and you know, blatherings on television and on talk radio. Um, everybody's involved in it. And they're like, yeah, I guess, I mean, I feel totally secure and fine. I mean, I'm, you know, inflation sucks and, you know, gas is expensive, but I, I guess out there in D.C. and New York and things look like they're about to tip over and when people say that the 60 percent of those i imagine a lot of those are people kind of echoing what they hear but their lives don't feel like that to them Mm -hmm. it feels like maybe other people's lives feel like that sure because i guarantee you and i will put money on this and come back to this if i'm wrong four years from now we're going to be in a place that we're going to be talking about dumb fucking morons running for president or i don't know we'll actually we'll have a new president at that point point idiots saying idiotic things and companies doing stupid shit and it's gonna be the same thing it will get it gets sort of progressively worse i mean it's much much worse than it was when we started this podcast for sure i mean the institutionalization of it and somebody pointed out that figure like um the 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 dollar amount that went to like corporate like programs that were just absurdly i guess woke is the word i have to use um and the the numbers are were like you know three billion and now it's like 85 trillion or something in a matter of like two years yeah it was like they were just like terrified of it in the post george floyd uh way and they were just like you know throwing money at anything and saying look how good we are look how good we are and we're not racist and that stuff got measurably worse in a short period of time i think that that's actually going to turn a corner again i think we're going back as uh, boomerang in a bit but as far as like democracy in the America coming apart at the seams, it's like, you know, seriously, fuck off. Because that it, we have a good example of that lie in that that kind of paranoia being um, untrue in the past. It's still believed that 1968, 1969, 1970 in America, Kent State. Um, no, that's not true. If you look at if you look at poll numbers at the time and people's support for the Vietnam War. And whether people, you know, in 1968, they voted for Nixon and they voted for Nixon in 1972 by the most overwhelming margin in American history. And it's like, no, no, the revolution was about to happen. Everything was coming apart. No, it wasn't. The people who were making television and people who became the university professors, people who became the documentarians and the filmmakers were the people on the streets. And they have a very vested interest in saying they almost did it. They almost were there. But it's just not true. In all of these moments that we're going to have that Reichstag fire moment, it's going to be a beer hall putsch. It's going to be, you know, the French Revolution, the Jacobins. It, there's nothing close in, in modern times. And anyone who tells you differently will find isolated moments of horror in recent American history and then blow up their long-term significance. It's bullshit. It has been bullshit, and it's continuing to be bullshit now. I think that there's something to be said about that the last six and a half years have kind of sucked. It's been sort of traumatic to go through, right? Um, if you just take the political part of it, the the rise of Trump, which is a type of character who um, a bunch of us wrongly thought, like, we wouldn't do that, right? Like, we're not going to we're not going to actually do that one over. Really? That's how. Oh, um, so that was weird <laughs> to, to deal with. The presidency was bizarre uh, all the way through and kind of nerve wracking 
January 6th is traumatic. It's an awful thing to watch happen. It kind of semi-confirmed worst fears. I think if you heard us talk in December 2020, um, we, I think, rightly pointed out that the election was not going to be overturned, but I don't think that we thought it was going to be as bad as it was on that. It turned out being on that. It was traumatic. And then at the end or somewhere towards the middle end of that trauma, you get a fucking global pandemic, which is not really good on the nerves. It kind of like it kind of wears you down a little bit like that. So even if we're in comparatively normal politics, if if somehow like it would snap back, which is not how populism works, like populism is it's uh, it happens throughout uh, the I mean, arguably, Bernie Sanders is very much a part of a populist moment in the left, and that's contributing to what we're having right now. And it's just feeding off each other in that sense. Um, but let's imagine that somehow that, that Joe Biden was the great re- restoration. He was a Macron like character who would sort of like wave a magic wand and people would pretend that the badness would go away, which also doesn't really even work in France. Uh, we would still have the pandemic out at the end of it. So it's like it's tough, especially for people who never lived through how. Um, yes, not Reichstag fa- uh, fire, but like uh, weird, the early 70s were and late 60s. They were well, there was a lot of people who were like shooting people. There were there were hostage situations in federal buildings a lot. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's sure. a fucking weird time. Marion Barry got shot in the stomach uh, by an Ahmadi Muslim <laughs> in what, 1977? Um, I will say this. I want to make a, a footnote because you just said France. Um, revolution was all coming down. That actually almost did happen in France. So that is just, just you know, to be clear, the de Gaulle government really did very come very, very close to, to toppling. And they even believe that. But Matt's right. And we have mentioned on this show Brian Burroughs' book, Days of Rage, which is worth uh, reading. It's just a, it's a fantastic kind of journalistic, very vivid uh, portrait of radicalism in the 60s and 70s in America. He's a Vanity Fair journalist, really not you know a biased guy or not a guy who has an axe to grind. I would say this, though. If you had any of that today, any of it, one week of it, we would, be, we would have CNN, Fox, well, probably in this case would be Fox, every day saying the communists are coming to take over. I mean, look at, and, I, and I, this is an actual homework assignment for you, go into Burroughs' book and you'll find it, the number of bombs that went off in New York City per mm. day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you said per day. Per day, yeah, yeah. It's insane, it's right? A wild, I mean, a wild read. <laughs> some, some of them blew up uh, down in, um, uh, in Wall Street and killed some people at a pub there, but most of them were blowing up trash cans, whatever. But your incendiary devices are going off all over New York City daily. And this is forgotten about. People are being killed and, you know, kidnapped and, you know, shootouts and all that stuff. If you had half of that stuff today, we would be, I mean, imagine the speeches, imagine the cable news sessions. It'd be crazy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm generally optimistic about our capacity to not go off the rails, but I'm, I'm sensitive to the dynamics that we've like explored a bunch here and the tendency towards political violence and the normalization of it and the explicit hostility of the rhetoric. Um, and at the end of the day, my, my hope is that more moderate elements can prevail. To the extent you have a successful democratic system, it means that you are able to transfer part power between hands and there is some credibility associated with that. People have confidence and they're not going to shoot each other in the face when the other people take power. And there are a lot of important constraints that are essential for that to be able to work and operate smoothly and normally. And when it starts to break down, uh, shit kind of starts to look the way it has here. So there's an appropriate 
level of concern that folks ought to put on. Um, but the the partisan motivated hysterics, that kind of deep adversarial um, tension is certainly unhealthy and puts us in a bad spot. Um, but I'm wondering what else is on your radars collectively. Matt, I know you've been reading a number of things that, that have you incensed uh, over the course of the past I, week or so, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in uh, bring back a, a some idiot wrote this because okay. for, for one reason for one okay. thing uh, uh, the uh, it. listeners have been uh, demanding it. <laughs> just um, the, I should kind of chime in and have my own and and how would I do that because I haven't been reading it. I'll just open the Daily Beast and look at the first three hundred. <laughs> give, give me give me a second. Uh, the one it's weird. The one that I was uh, uh, look, looking at or uh, wanting to. Uh, nominate uh is by uh in a magazine that's edited by a former daily beast uh, editor strange that oh, yeah. uh yeah, yeah. rolling stone yeah. i don't have it at my fingertips but it would say it's a a piece whose uh, tweet uh read that uh the uh these rich republican families the uh, devosses and the scafes making a comeback uh and the, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I forget yeah. who the third family was the bradleys or i don't know um are um are you know are financing the uh the big lie I'm like what? Wait, <laughs> wow! I mean, that's it's kind of a I, I, something I should know about if that's true because that sounds a little bit strange. The Betsy DeVos, right? Do we remember what mm-hmm. Betsy DeVos did on January sixth? It said she resigned because she was horrified by what was happening and she felt that <laughs> Donald Trump, her She's boss, trying to was, cover her tracks, Matt Welch. was acting cover in an unpresidential way. Anyways, this piece, uh, which was sold as like you know, we went through the documents. Just, all right. So they, yeah. they, they publicly looked, available documents. They looked at the <laughs> 990s at the Claremont Institute, right? So this is the, a longstanding, originally a Reaganite uh, uh, kind of institute, um, sort of by Henry Jaffa, I think in the 70s or the 80s. Um, and for years, it was just sort of tweed, you know, uh, let's talk about the founding documents and blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh just kind of a, a repository tucked up against the foothills in Southern California of genteel conservative intellectual thought. In about the last five, six years, they have become uh, most famously associated with the Flight 93 election essay in 2016, right before the election, which is a very important work. The guy who wrote it, uh, I forget what stupid name he used, uh, Publicus or whatever, Publius, um, but then he uh, uh, outed himself as Michael Anton, and he actually worked in the, in the Trump administration. But it was a super insane analogy that has caught on, and I, I think that it's traveled across the aisle, that the Democrats believe that they're always uh, facing a, a Flight 93 election as well. Just this kind of a, a, a hepped-up uh, hysteria. So the Claremont Institute has gone in that direction and gone much more kind of uh, uh, tr- the new traditional conservatives, kind of like trying to flesh out what they uh, think that Trumpism or post-Trumpism could be. Uh, and some of the people who've been associated with that like uh, helped out with Trump's legal shenanigans after the election. So um, what do they find in this great uh, thing? That um, uh, they increase their budget one year over the next by $500,000. <laughs> it was like from like $5.5 billion to $6 million. Again, I don't have it right in front of me. But like a pretty insignificant year-over-year switch of a pretty insignificant size of money to begin with, certainly paling in, in comparison to the $23 billion thrown by the Ford Foundation and everybody else into DEI programs, or just your fill-in-the-blank institutes of whatever politics all over Washington and Los Angeles and New York, including the Reason Foundation, which employs me. Um, 
And uh, the DeVos family, which has been one of the biggest funders of conservative and libertarian causes, I think they're rich, it's DeVos people. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, and so they uh, in the, they interviewed them like, yeah, we don't we didn't target any money to for the the big lie. We just you know are giving. But it's in was, the memo. It's in the memo on the check. That's what it says. This big lie. Big all in caps on, on the check. It's like. The the connect the dots here uh, uh, element of that journalism is astonishing, and you could if you wanted to do that, you could do that right now. You could find a real easy dot to connect between the the scapes. The scapes have over over the, the years. I don't know when the last time they did it. Given money to the Reason Foundation, so mm-hmm. right right wingers, yeah, right wingers in Pittsburgh are like pulling the puppet strings of Matt Welch in the fifth column. Uh, according to the <laughs> nine ninety that I I'm just trying to sweet uh, trying to help people <laughs> out. That. What, uh, what did I get? What, you get any idea? Did you see my my cut? Your cut <laughs> Did we pay you though? That's I'm not. <laughs> no, that's the thing. I think I'm yeah. being. I think I'm being. I mean, I had my yeah. own Arkansas project that I wanted funded by the scape. Jesus and Nobody Christ. got back to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like have enough familiarity just with the 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 donor world of. Uh, 501c3s in in the like the size of them the comparative size of them their influence uh how funding changes year to year sometimes there is an interesting sudden switch of funding of various publications or these things this wasn't one of them it just mm-hmm. wasn't mm. got a scary last name you remember this this family you don't like them cool let's put that and big lie in a tweet and like a dollar sign and then, like, try to get you all hepped up. That shit ain't journalism, bro. No, and also, I'm fining everybody, and it has to go into my uh, Richard Mellon Scaife uh, bank account, uh, which is just bursting with money. And if you have to, $5 for every shithead journalist um, who is probably 24 years old and uh, thinks that they've come across something huge because they <laughs> they got a, a form that is available online. Somebody gave $78 to the Claremont Review of Books. <laughs> wow, incredible Woodward. Nice job, guys. Um, is that you're going to be fine from here on out for the Michael Moynihan Fine Brigade, Ooh. my own squad, um, for using the big lie um, at all. You just, you're not allowed to use it anymore. Because as opposed, you're using a Nazi propaganda phrase, right? And it's, I've written this before. I wrote a piece about it for Tablet ages ago. This is something that is wildly misunderstood. It's like the Nazis, they were so brilliant. They said they were brilliant, but evil. They said, if you repeat a lie so many times, people will start to believe it. Because nobody had ever thought that before. It was an yeah. absolutely unique yeah. idea to yeah. the Nazis. Um, well, no, the use of the word big lie, it cannot, can actually be found in Mein Kampf. And it is uh, accusing Jews of incorporating the big lie to oh. blame Ludendorff for losing the First World War. The Jews uh, and use the big lie, and they repeat it over and over so much that you believe it. So don't be like the Jews. That is literally what the big lie means. And, of course, nobody has gone back to look at this because it's like, well, Goebbels said it. Where? Find it for me. Oh, you mean the thing that was in Mein Kampf buried that was mentioned once and in various translations, it's translated slightly different. But the 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 um, common translation is 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 something to the effect of, you know, the Jews do this, and they repeat it so many times. And uh, don't let the Jews get away with big lies, because that's their mo. And for some reason, we are recycling this Nazi propaganda. For some, for some reason, for some for reason, some reason, it's because America well, is fundamentally anti-Semitic. It's always uh, been true. 
Yeah, well, I, it's probably is true actually <laughs> from some of the things that I see. Um, no, but it's funny that the people calling everybody fascists are uh, very uh, <laughs> happy employing Nazi phraseology that uh, that accused Jews of being disloyal to the German Reich at that point in, in World War One. So, the Kaiser Reich. Anyway. Did, did you find did you find the headline or the story that you loathe, Michael Moynihan? Uh, no, it seems the Daily Beast seems to have not is slightly <laughs> less shitty than it was. I don't know why today. Um, uh, so no, I didn't. Um, uh, there was there's a headline that says political prisoner, quote unquote. You know, Paul Manafort was a shitty cellmate, and then it says hmm. for some reason the honeymoon is over. What does that mean? Uh, like wait, the Paul Manafort's honeymoon in jail, or <laughs> that honeymoon of getting good press coverage, which Paul Manafort's always got. What are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, oh, there's there's one there's one from today. I'm gonna I'm gonna double up after having gone on the uh, daily views. Follow, uh, no, uh, but another uh, a candidate for somebody who wrote this from the New York Times. I swear to God, this following headline and subhead is true. Remember the story, the heartwarming story, uh, so to speak, of uh, the guy who got like the uh, the pig uh, heart transplant the other day. <laughs> Here, here's the patient in groundbreaking heart transplant has a violent criminal record. What? <laughs> That's the headline. David Bennett Sr. in the subhead was involved in a serious assault nearly 35 years ago. Court records show uh, such histories should not disqualify patients, his doctor what? said. New York Times, today. Wait, so what is the story? The story Wait, is that that does journalist... It, does, it say, does it say a person of color should have gotten it? <laughs> the... the uh, that uh, yeah, basically that uh, they ran a court records check on somebody in the story, and they found that he stabbed somebody. What did he do? He did a what? bad thing. Well, uh, did the guy deserve it? He repeatedly stabbed a young man, leaving him. Paralyzed. Yeah, maybe the guy, maybe the guy, the guy sucked really bad, mm. and he kept on getting up. Jeez. I mean, sometimes the, you got to keep stabbing the victim, <laughs> Edward Shoemaker. Well, Michael that's what Boyan, they say. I don't know Edward Shoemaker. Two Edward decades. Psycho. In a wheelchair and like died from a stroke, you monster. Oh well, 40. I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know who also spent the rest of his life in a wheelchair that nobody from the New York Times be sympathetic with? George Wallace, because he got shot and he sucked, right? <laughs> so not everyone's be like, oh, George Wallace. He he died as a result of the shooting. No, he he got shot because he was George Wallace. What makes Sorry. this better is that uh, the third <laughs> third paragraph is the Washington Post first reported the transplant patient's criminal record. And the assault that led to it on Thursday. So we had uh, two prestigious papers uh, in the country uh, looking, ripping the lid off the criminal record from 35 years ago of a pig heart transplant patient. Well, they, they, and, they showed him. I bet. I bet he's he's going to reject the heart now because he's so. He's is that is that a milkshake duck? The yes, it is. I don't. I've it's never understood what that phrase duck. is, but yeah, uh, yeah. you can Google it. The revelations have prompted debate about how patients are selected for cutting-edge medical care. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> no, it hasn't. It hasn't. I'm sorry. No I'm sorry. Debate. Does the New York Times think, think felons should be able to vote? Ooh. <laughs> I mean, Ooh. I mean, only that? I not, mean, not white felons. They don't get to vote. Because does, does, if you equity. made a mistake in the past, are, are you allowed to live? <laughs> Unbelievable. Wow. Oh, God. Well, I guess we can get out of here um, <clears throat> and we'll we'll pick this up again next go round. 
when I'm in another state. Oh yeah, you're in Florida. Yeah, Florida. I mean, and also a mental state. It's a different mental state. But yes, I'm in Florida and not California, um, and also not New York. But I should be in New York pretty soon. But we'll have updates on that later. Uh, from what yeah. I understand, that uh, you're hanging out with uh, with famous people without knowing that they're famous. Oh, uh, have I been? Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard stories? Yeah. You've heard accounts from different people who we who we mutually know. Yeah, it's true. We do. I do have friends here uh, who are people who work alongside Matt Welch, so I can yeah. out them. But that's that's as much as I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anything else. I mean, God, I'm, sure. listen, I'm professional obligations. I'll never betray my principles. I'll never sell out. I'll never uh, I'll never go commercial. I'm here. I'm for going y'all. to be in Camille's and neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, speaking of which, I got a five-minute videotape of my six-year-old uh, declaring her vision of the world in which all the kids are allowed to fly business class. It's, it's <laughs> oh, the best. Yeah. And then no. they're like, and <laughs> no, they're given that ruins business class. <laughs> That's right. I'm I'm backing legislation. Uh, I had a <laughs> I had a dream <laughs> that kids would be banned from flying completely. <laughs> completely no one under the age of 18 is allowed on a plane no not no. at all no nope. uh, at all no but no, i'm coming out with shoes and socks on <laughs> i'm coming stop to san francisco to stop the steal of the recall election for the school board there's three school board members facing oh. a contentious february 15th recall the valentine's day massacre of of a good progressive uh, educational infighting. Uh, so I'm coming out for that for a few days. And uh, if Camille's in town, we should maybe mm. maybe have a little uh, bar meetup among let's our uh, our Frisco no, uh, uh, listeners. You should so. come out to Tiburon and, and see the see the digs. Enjoy the when is, when is this? When are you doing this? What was the date? Uh, the, it's the 15th is the election, so I'll probably be there from like the 13th to the 16th or 17th. Some, some little right, well. chunk. I, okay. I suspect I'll be around. I'm, I know I'm traveling a bunch over the next couple of weeks, but yeah, let's let's do the thing. Okay, right. okay. good. Well, right. I'll come out and then we can do a bit. Let's do a um, hey, do a lunch. Hey. Oh my god, I'll come out. You That's just fine. Don't, don't just say things like that. No, I can come out. I just you gotta yeah. you gotta give me an escort, so I don't uh, <laughs> not like a <laughs> woman escort. escort. Like, well, I mean, I not I only that, that is what you're saying. You, yeah, you're looking yeah, for no, an, I, you want the I Adam's want apple? Yeah, I want, I want two escorts. I want an escort that I can take to dinner, for instance, and one that will that will um, allow me to walk through the tenderloin without getting a needle in my eye. Those two things. If you can get both of those going right now, that'd be fucking great. I'll come. It's called San Francisco Chom. Get used yeah, to it. It's fine. No, no, um, yeah, I should I'm be. I Trump. should. I should be around that week. I think that's between Dallas and Arizona for me. Jeez, this is going to be so brutal. You're like it's the fine. To- you're like the Tony Robbins of of something. I don't even know what you're doing. You're going around giving like <laughs> inspirational speeches of like how to. Are you doing like wealth? What is it? Wealth prospect? Like gospel yes. wealth? What do they call the religious one? Prosperity theology. Oh, pro- prosperity it's the prosperity theology. Gospel. Gospel. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You go Creflo, and you Creflo say Creflo dollar money cometh. <laughs> Creflo dollar <laughs> to me. That Ballin. is, I think, his real name. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, Creflo and Taffy or Tammy? Taffy. Taffy. I think it might be Taffy, Taffy Dollar. Dollar. I don't, I, I'm confident he's still in business. World Changers International. I know a little bit too much World about that. World That's not real, is it? Yeah, yes. Yeah, that name. is the World fakest name. That's like the name of a company in a fucking Bond movie. World Changers International. That is amazing. What a scam artist. Yeah. All right, Creflo yeah. Dollar. I'm going to watch some of his shit before I go to bed tonight. <laughs> 
Does he uh, have uh, videos on YouTube? Um. Oh yeah, for sure. Creflo Dollar. For the, sure. The, for the second thing that comes up appears to be a mugshot. Of Creflo? Yeah. Oh, the headline is Creflo Dollar choked, punched daughter. Police report. Oh mm. my goodness. Yeah, he shouldn't have done that. She must have stepped out of really stepped out of line. Oh, I'm sure she, she had must, that coming. She must not have been making any money. Creflo She's is not earning. You know, well, <laughs> word says, spare the rod, spoil the child. So that was that was 2012. So yeah, I think he's I think he's over. He's gotten over that. that. That's fine. Yeah, yeah but there's another thing. picture of him getting off a um a PJ, on yeah, a private jet. Yeah, well, um, Creflo was the one some years back who was doing this thing, and like God had called on him to like request the congregation buy him the most expensive like, luxury jet imaginable because his old one is like 30 years old. It's just too much. Yeah. The man of God couldn't be traveling the world in this. This is not good enough. We need better. Yeah. That's um, amazing. Yeah, there's a, the, the great, you know, the headline that accompanies the story of him and the PJ is uh, is, a, is the greatest headline I've ever seen. Why Creflo Dollar is not welcome in Scotland. Wow. <laughs> well, there's only one answer to that. Yeah. Only possibly one yeah. answer. Yeah. He's probably just racist. <laughs> That's probably right, actually. Fucking Creflo Dollar. That's amazing. The world changes the church. That's incredible. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. That's I'm gonna I'm gonna watch some Creflo Dollar. Oh okay. man, you know right. who I want to get on the podcast? Sorab. So I'm gonna put it out there. I want to talk to them about the National Sabbath Initiative oh, yeah. and like their whole thing. That whole thing is interesting to me. I want to talk about it. I want to know. I, 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 I had to send. I was sending some of Sorab stuff to my um, my childhood pastor today because that is the nightmare that uh adventists have been warning about for, for eons mm. for eons mm. i want to my you pastor, my pastor responding <laughs> he, said, he said god is trying to tell you something i was like yeah i should book him on the podcast i think that's the <laughs> message i think that's the message so i want him on the podcast we're gonna talk I, about this I'm, god is my booker <laughs> i'm guessing that i've attended catholic masses more often than sorab has in his life Ooh, shots fired. Shots fired. Uh, well, well uh, when it's mandated he and by I are the state. Very friendly. When it's mandated by the state, then you'll go. Yeah. That's true. the thing. Because you, you have to. Because it's your duty. So. All right. It's cool. your duty. All it's right. your duty um, to serve that booty. Yeah, get, get so Rob on talking about the Sabbath. And I don't really care about that stuff. So Matt and I can do <laughs> half an episode about Black Sabbath. Yeah. And then you can do that. And we'll just put them back to front. Yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. Get some, some, get Ozzy some, on. Get some good. more pigs. Can we get Ozzy on? Is he still alive? <laughs> oh, I, 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 I can't believe it, Matt. We're not, you know, we're not going to do the thing, Matt. You know, you're the you know, that was Sorab. <laughs> we, should get, we should get Ozzy and Sorab on together. <laughs> Just not great. show up. You know, here's the problem, Sorab. I'm in Birmingham, you know. Sorab's like looking out the window like, what the fuck is that? All right. Bye. Bye. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horror.